Let me ask you to take your Bibles tonight. Let's turn back to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 once again. <clears throat> Hopefully you remember uh, that we have been working back through some thoughts found in the Gospels. A few weeks back I told you that I started on a personal reread through of the, the Gospels. And what I've been doing on these Wednesday nights is sharing with you thoughts from my own quiet time with the Lord, things He's been teaching me as I'm reading back through these familiar chapters. And over the past several Wednesday nights, we've been considering patterns in the language of the Scriptures that we have noticed in the opening chapters of the book of Matthew. And so far, we have seen patterns that highlight in chapters 1 through 4 the the confidence that we should have in God and His Word. There was a repetition of language over and over again through those first four chapters especially that highlighted that need for us to consider. And then in chapter 5, we considered the importance of responding actively and submissively to the living and active Word of our Sovereign Lord. And not getting so caught up in mere tradition. I saw a comment this week from a pastor who said that tradition is a great servant, but a terrible master. And so often we find ourselves caught up in tradition and being mastered by it rather than the very words of our God. And just saying, well, we do it because we've always done it. We do it because we've always thought it. We do it because that's what our daddy did and our mommy did and our grandparents did. And that's what our church has always done. Well... What does our Lord say? And so we spent some time considering that from Matthew chapter 5. And then uh, last time in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, we considered the necessity of believing that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, is vitally important. And when we find ourselves doing our righteousness, Jesus called it, Before others, in order to be seen by them, we demonstrate our unbelief, our absolute idolatry. Because we seek our reward too soon and from the wrong people. Rather than trusting that our God will ultimately keep his word and reward those who have been his. Tonight what I want to do is I want to return to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to to consider one more pattern of repetition that we find in chapter 6. It's another familiar passage, so I don't believe there's going to be a lot of new here, but I hope that maybe as we consider it, you may see some things you've not seen or considered quite like this before. To begin with, what I want to do is I just want to read down through the first section or the first paragraph of this next section of the text, beginning at verse 19, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, and I'll read down through verse 24. That's the first paragraph where we read this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. We've heard these verses. We, we, we know what's here. But I want you to notice the fact that our Lord began this section of the sermon by addressing the fact that we naturally tend to treasure the wrong things. Would you acknowledge that about yourself? That when left to yourself of just doing what you naturally desire, you treasure not eternal things, but temporal ones. I just want to get to the weekend. I just want to enjoy my weekend. I just want to see the game. I just want a few more minutes with my family. I just want, I just want, I just want, I just want. And rarely is what we want eternal. It's almost inevitably for most of us. Temporal stuff we're just fixated on. It's just the bent of our hearts. You see, Jesus is telling us that naturally, our natural hearts tend to treasure the temporal, as we said. Verse 19, he said this, don't lay up treasures on earth. See, that's the temporal. But our Lord instead commands us to treasure the eternal. We see that in verse 20, lay up treasures in, in heaven. And don't miss the reasoning behind the command. Our, our hearts, he says, are drawn to what we treasure and pursue. So our hearts are drawn to what we treasure and go after. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You treasure it, you go after it, you pursue it, and guess what? Your heart goes right with it. My heart does the same. Uh, and next, what we find in the passage, verses 23 and 24, is the fact that he illustrates the principle by speaking of your eye, which he's telling us must not be diseased, or we might think of it in these terms because the next verse actually addresses it, or divided. We might summarize that principle with this, where you look is where you go. And he warns us about this in verses 23 and 24, having an eye that, that, that actually is darkness rather than light. And he explained all of this with greater clarity when we come to verse 25 and we read very simply the statement, no one, don't, don't miss this, no one, you're not going to be the exception nor am I. No one can serve two masters. It's impossible. We were not made with the capability of doing so. No one can serve two masters. And in case we missed what he's telling us along the way here, he states very, very plainly his premise at the end of the verse when he says, you, I cannot serve God and money. We think we can. We think we can serve God on the weekend. We think we can serve God in that new car. We think we can serve God in our technology. We think we can serve God on our vacations. We think we can serve God and God and God and God and. And he says, you can't. I can't either. Jesus says it so plainly. Stop trying to convince yourself of what you are incapable of doing. What I'm incapable of doing, and yet we, we spend so much of our lives trying to convince ourselves and our spouse and our kids and everybody around us that we're going to be the exception. We can serve God and. And none of us can. No one can. You cannot serve God and Money. Now, I don't know about you, but my heart reads those verses that I've read many times before, and I come to the end, and I want to say, yeah, so glad I don't do that. 
I'm looking for the way to just give myself the pass, right? To go, yeah, that's not my problem. I mean, I know plenty of people that have that problem. I don't have that problem. And I'm so thankful that our Lord knows us far better than we know ourselves. And he spends the rest of the section now moving on from this stated premise to demonstrating a problem in every one of our hearts that proves our idolatry. How fixated we are on money and on the stuff of this life. And we know that that's the case because of the pattern in the language. In fact, you may stop for a minute and just ask yourself, why did the Lord spend all of the time in these six verses we just read addressing a danger, the danger of a heart that is easily diverted from single-hearted devotion to God by the eye-catching, heart-dividing love of money? Why, why spend that kind of time? Well, why, why did Jesus talk about, uh, more about money than so many other things he addressed during his earthly ministry? Why was it such a recurring theme? Why is it found throughout the New Testament consistent warnings about people who look to even lie to the Holy Spirit and the church to prove how, how generous they are when really their God was their money? The first people killed in the early church by the Spirit of God were two people who wanted to lie about their money. They wanted to look generous while being stingy. You study the New Testament carefully and you will find this theme is all over the place. Because the problem's all over us, right? It's, 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 just, it's, it's the natural bent of the fallen heart. Why would he spend this kind of time? Because I believe that the answer is wrapped up in that pattern I told you we're going to find in the next few verses. In fact, what we find in the next, the next 10 verses is the fact that, five, uh, that, that there's a key word that's used five times in the next 10 verses. I'm just going to read down through the 10 verses. I want you to note, note the language. You're going to see it. I'm going to highlight it for us. Just, just look at what we read. Verse 25. Next verse. Notice it starts with the word, therefore. He's rooting everything he's about to say in what he's just said. Because you cannot serve God and money and you think that you don't serve God and money, let me show you, Jesus is saying, why this is more of a problem than you think it is. Or that I want to admit that it is. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Okay, you say, I don't have a problem with idolatry. I got a question. Do you have a problem with worry? How badly has inflation wrecked your world in the last few weeks? How much fear do God's people spend worrying about what's going to happen to the dollar? Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being, here's your word again, anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of, notice the problem, little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, for the fifth time, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My friends, let me just ask you, have have you ever noticed how many of your daily worries are attached to money in some way. Worries about your life. Worries about your groceries and your your water supply or your your drink. Worries about your, your clothing or maybe more broadly, your shelter. Worries about your health. Worries about your future. I can take every one of the words I just used and trace you to a part of the passage where this is either stated or implied. Where are we going to get our food? Where are we going to get our drink? How are we going to get clothing and shelter? I mean, what about our health? And what about our life? I mean, what's it going to be? I mean, am I going to be safe in the future? How often do our hearts race with worry? Let's face it, all the things that we just mentioned, all the things in this text, come back to the question of money in some form or fashion. You often hear people talk about how money makes the the world go round. Let me note this, all of the things that are addressed by the Lord in this passage are what, what we might actually refer to as genuine necessities. Did you notice that? Food. You don't eat, you starve. Drink, you don't drink, you die. You're not protected by the elements. Probably won't live long. These would be considered necessities. If we're honest, though, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for tonight, very few of us, at least in our context here, and very few people we know anywhere around us, are truly content with having just our necessities met, are we? My belly's full. There's still clothes on my back. No place to lay my head out of the elements. I'm healthy today. Thank you, Lord. That's enough. 
Very few of us are truly content with just our necessities. In fact, very few of us have ever in our lifetimes ever come against the the, the limits of our necessities or the, the extremities of those supplies. In fact, most of us are dealing with larger waistlines than we should have, right? Not smaller ones. We don't do without much of anything. Truth be told, many, if not most, of our daily anxieties and our worries are not, I'm talking about ours now, are not about necessities. They're actually about our, our luxuries, our comforts, the stuff we really, really hope never goes away, like internet, right? Cell service, gasoline at our fingertips that we can just pump into our cars because we would, what, God forbid, we ever have to walk anywhere, right? I mean, I mean, literally, the kinds of things we're worrying about, we're so far past necessities, it's not even funny. And yet that's, that's literally filling the minds and the lives of so many American Christians today. They are overwhelmed with fears about their luxuries going away. Not things that would actually bring them to the end of their necessities. What's more, I would argue that I think most of us have no idea how abundantly blessed and how rich we actually are. I mean, every one of us in this room, by biblical definitions, is abundantly rich. And yet I'm not sure there's a person in this room that would actually want to claim that word for themselves because of what it's come to connote in our culture. I'm not rich. Oh, I know rich people. Rich people are millionaires, right? They're, they're billionaires. We're not rich. Question, do you have more than you need? You're rich. Biblically defined. You say, well, you say that pretty, pretty forcefully, Pastor. I, I can, can you back it up? Well, I would argue that the scriptures actually do so very plainly. You see, we find, I think, it far too easy in our current situation to lose touch with the way that we are commanded to think about money and about what money tends to buy for us. We, we, we actually we lose touch with God's sovereign supply for our needs. We actually begin to think that we make our worlds turn. We are the ones who make our lives work. And we forget how plainly Paul wrote to young Timothy and he instructed this young pastor to teach God's people about these matters. Just listen to the language of what he wrote to Timothy. He said familiar words, we know, but godliness with contentment is great gain or great wealth or great riches. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Wow. You realize that what he's saying is that all the worry about all the stuff that it takes to make life work is completely being fixated on the here and now without one thought of eternity. Because what he said is, you didn't bring anything into the world and you're not taking any of it with you. So how should we think while walking through this life? Next verse. And having food and raiment, food and clothing, let us be there with content. Food in your belly 
and at least a set of clothing on your back. Be content. It's enough. I don't know about you, but friends, I just got to admit, my mindset is so far removed from that, typically, normally. Just my wife. I see a new jacket. I'm like, man, I, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. You know, for you, it's a pair of shoes or something. Who, who knows what it is, right? Food in your belly, clothes on your back. You have enough. Let's be content. And then he says, now warn them, because what's going to happen is the very thing that happens in our hearts right then, what I just said that, is what happens in all of our hearts, because he says, warn them, because here's what's going to be tempted, they're going to be tempted to think, they that will be rich, those who want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts or desires which drown men in destruction and perdition. Four. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, according to Paul, to be rich, as I noted earlier for you, is to have more than you need to survive. Because he said food and clothing, that's enough, be content. That's the definition, right? So to be rich, is that more than I need. And notice the fact that he never teaches that it is wrong. Notice, to be rich. You see that? He's not saying it's wrong to have. He warns that it is the desire to be rich. It's the wanting it. Not being satisfied without it. Giving my time and my energy and my effort to do everything I can to maintain some kind of lifestyle that I want. For as long as I live, I better have what I want. It's the wanting. The, the, the clinging to it. Not, not the having it. Because there are people God blesses with so much, they can't give it away fast enough. But there are some of us who cling to our money like Charlton Heston clings to his guns, right? You can pry it from my cold, dead fingers because I'm not giving it away. I won't part with this. I, I, I won't suffer a luxury loss. I won't be made uncomfortable. I went on in that text to warn that it's the love of money, the love of money. Not the money itself that's the problem. And it lures the heart, he says in this passage, to, to covetousness rather than confidence in God. And a foolishness that sacrifices the eternal on the altar of the immediate rather than faith. He literally says that the desire to be rich has led many people out of the faith. I won't 
do without what I want. How quickly our fallen hearts forget the fact, friends, that our Lord instructed us to trust him for and to seek from his hand our daily necessities. In fact, we saw it just last week in this very text of Matthew 6 when he gave us his model prayer and his instruction to pray was this. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give me a lifetime supply of food. Father, would you please give me what I need today? And I will be satisfied. I will be content with whatever you supply. Like we saw last week, our our response to our daily needs is also a revealer of our belief or unbelief. Remember we said that last week, the text, the problem, the root problem was unbelief. But it's the same in our text for tonight. Look back at verse 26 again. Just notice notice what what Jesus says in our text. Look at the birds of the air. They, They neither sow nor reap nor gather to barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them Now he asks a question that implies, are you believing that you're of more value to him than birds? Are you believing? The birds aren't starving because God feeds them every day and he so feeds you. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? You say, well, is that really what he's talking about? Keep reading. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Worry all you want, plan all you want, stockpile all you want. You're not going to extend your life one hour. I'm not going to spend my life one hour by worrying about it and planning for it and making all this. I I don't determine the date of my death, the time of my death. In fact, he warns the the rich man who built barns and greater. Okay, who is all this going to belong to when you die? Like You're going to die, and, and now it's going to go to somebody else. You were all worried about you, but you're not going to expand your life. You're not going to extend your life. I'm not going to extend mine. Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Why talk about the flowers? Next verse. If God so clothes the grass of the field, God clothes the grass of the field. God gives the flowers their color. He, he, he sends the bees with the, the pollen to pollinate. He, he, he's, he's taking care of the garden of his creation. He makes the flowers grow. He sends the rain. He's the one who grows these things. If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, uh, flowers that nobody even notices because you're going to run over with your lawnmower tomorrow. Yet he, he painted them in your yard. Will he not? Much more clothe you. Now, what's our problem? Next phrase. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you unbeliever. You don't believe God. You don't trust what he said. Friends, even more than this, our Lord goes on to tell us in this very text that our response to him in the face of daily needs is what marks us out as different from those who are lost in the world around us. See, we think what marks us out as different is we're smarter and we plan better. And Jesus said, the lost do that. Therefore, 
Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles, the lost, seek after all these things. They're making their plans. They're, they're working their jobs. They're stockpiling their money. They're, they're, they're making sure they're going to be taken care of in their old age. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Your Father meets your needs. So what does He say? What marks you out as different? Not that you see needs and try to meet them, but that you see needs, but value other things more highly. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he might give you what you need, right? Is that what that verse says? No. All these things will be added Unto you, your needs will be met. The problem is we define needs differently from our Lord many times. I've got a question. Does the way we go through this life and we deal with money and stuff and decide how we're going to use our resources and our time and how we're going to how we're going to navigate things does it demonstrate that we are children of our father trusting him to meet our daily needs or do we look a lot like the people that are wearing themselves out on that little spinny wheel in the rat race of life we just sit in a different building on Sunday or on Wednesday night. They're watching a game. We're listening to a sermon, but we're just as worried about tomorrow as they are. Are we? Or are we believing our Father? Based on all that we've seen here, I think it should be no wonder to us then that he concludes, Jesus concludes this section by driving home his point one more time, and he says it again, do not be anxious. And he says it in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Stop living with a fear of tomorrow, he says. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. <laughs> Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I like what commentator Albert Barnes wrote about this. Albert Barnes lived between the years of 1798 and 1870 in America. Some pretty volatile years in there, if you know your history. Barnes wrote about this verse in his commentary this. I thought it was helpful. He said, commit your way to God. The evil, the, the trouble, the anxiety of each day as it comes is sufficient without perplexing the mind with restless cares about another day. It is wholly uncertain whether you will live to see another day. If you do, it will bring its own trouble, and it will also bring the proper supply of your needs. 
God will be the same father then as today and will make then as he does now proper provision for your wants. Worrying about it doesn't do anything but bring more trouble into today than is naturally part of the day. All of this, as I was studying, reminded me of the language of God penned by the prophet Isaiah. He wrote it to, to call God's faithful people to something, something better, something, something higher, something far more lasting than that which everybody around them was seeking after. This was a, this was a call to his own, and you know these words, don't you, in Isaiah 55? Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You're so worried about whether or not the things that you need and the things that, that, that will be supplied for you, you have enough money for them. No, God supplies for his own. Come to him. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and, and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Where do I get that? Incline your ear and come to me, God says. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting God. See, some of us would potentially be running the razor's edge of life with so many others who might say, I'm willing to risk the everlasting covenant, the the promise of eternal blessing if if he'll just make my life comfortable this week. Because at the end of the day, all I really want is another good weekend, a few minutes more with my family, a little bit better health, a little bit nicer house, a little bit, a little bit nicer car, you know, better brands of groceries than I can tend to buy now. Just, just a little bit more would make it, make it so much better. I just, I just want to know that my belly will be filled in two weeks or in two years or in 20 And he would say, To us, you're messing with things above your pay grade. I've given you today. I've fed you today. I put breath in your lungs. I put clarity in your mind. I put strength in your muscles. And I've said, live for my kingdom and my righteousness without worrying about tomorrow. Give me yourself today. And some of us don't have time for his things and for him because we're so worried about getting enough in the bank account for tomorrow. And we justify 
We justify the rat race and the busyness and the, the silliness of this world's way of life that we give ourselves over to so often because at the end of the day, we've convinced ourselves that, yes, I believe in the Father who supplies, but at the end of the day, whether or not I have enough food for myself in a few days is all dependent on me. Now, don't hear me say don't work. We've talked about that. There's a biblical theology of work. Don't hear me say, don't be a prudent man who sees evil and does your best to hide yourself. But if you think because you built the fort, it means the arrow can't find the slot in the wall that takes you out, you're kidding yourself. How many times we read in Scripture things like the, the story of the man who, who just drew back an arrow from human perspective by chance, and that arrow finds the chink in the armor of the king who was dressed like the normal soldier. You think because you put on a disguise, because you put extra food in the pantry, because you got more money in the bank, that you've ensured a longer life. You're kidding yourself. I'm kidding myself. Work. Be wise. Be frugal, be careful, be healthy. But I'm concerned that so many Christians today are exchanging all of those descriptives for be righteous, be trusting, because your father, your father feeds his own. Your father protects his own. Your father supplies for his own. He said, well, I'll exchange busy, I'll exchange righteous for busy, and God will look the other way. No. No, he's not. Seek first the kingdom. The king and his righteousness. He'll meet your needs in this life and throughout eternity. But my friends, I'm so concerned that there are so many Christians in our day who have entrusted our eternity to God, but we don't trust him with tomorrow. But we would call ourselves believers and we would call ourselves faithful. And we would call ourselves committed. Hear me. What does Jesus say? No, here's what I, I'm calling you to. Don't be anxious. Trust your Father. And live your life for Him. Because all you and I know we have is a mist, a breath, and it's gone. See, some of us have said, I'll, I'll get around to serving Jesus when I'm a little more secure. I'll get around to serving Jesus when I got a little bit more in the bank. I'll get around to serving Jesus when, when I'm, I'm just not quite so on my heels with life. The thing is, we don't know that we're ever going to get around to that week we've planned for. So he says, walk in my ways today. Live for my kingdom and my righteousness today. Declare my name today. Don't trust yourself. Trust me, he says.
As I read and I prepared for tonight, my heart was convicted. Maybe that yours is as well. And tonight, what I want us to do is, as we pray, I want us to go to prayer as those who would confess willingly, honestly, even joyfully, our natural bent toward treasuring and worrying about the temporal. It's our hearts. That's where we're bent. And as the text taught us tonight, then let's pray as those who take our God at his word and, 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 and that we would pray as those who trust our Heavenly Father's heart, his track record. Let's pray as those who seek him and his righteousness above all else. Because at the end of the day, we know he must increase. He must be glorified, regardless of what happens to me. So to that end, let's pray as those who trust what he said and walk in his ways like that. All right?